turn with me to Romans 2, verses 1 through 16. It's in your bulletin, or you can turn there in your Bible. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who do such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Abby. Good morning, church. In 2019, Debbie and I had a wonderful opportunity uh, to go on a cruise by ourselves. That means without our kids. And if you're a parent, you know that is a wonderful thing. For us, it was, it was special because we really didn't have very much of a, of a honeymoon. Um, and so having the opportunity to, to go on a cruise uh, was a great thing for us. Secondly... Um, what was wonderful about this cruise was one of the destinations. I don't even remember any of the destinations except for one of the destinations was Cuba. We were going to get to go to Cuba. Uh, and this was wonderful because I had been there a couple years earlier on a missions trip. I had gotten to experience the island. I had gotten to experience the culture, the food, and, of course, the wonderful people there. And I wanted Debbie to experience the very same thing. Uh, to me, actually, the best coffee on the planet is still 
in Cuba. Uh, my best cup of coffee was in Havana, and I longed for Debbie to experience that as well. So we were excited. We were pumped about this trip. And I, I remember it like it was yesterday. The night before we were to land in a uh, dock in Havana, about 9 o'clock at night, the captain gets on the ship, on the, on the megaphone, uh, the loudspeaker, and then he makes an announcement, and he gives us some bad news. And he says this. He says, the president has issued an executive order, and he is now banning all recreational travel to Cuba. That includes this cruise ship. And so we're going to change our destination. We're no longer going to go to Havana. And you can imagine the disappointment uh, that we felt when we heard this news. Um, and I remember even the little bit of the chaos that was going on on the ship. Uh, people were, were making signs and saying interesting things about the president and his executive order, right? Uh, there's a little bit of protesting going on. There's a little bit of, there's a lot of questions about would we be compensated for this? You know, Debbie and I had, had paid for a, a day excursion to go experience the culture, and we lost that money. And so uh, we, were, we were definitely upset. We were disappointed. But one thing for sure, every single person on that ship was in the same predicament. We were now going in a different direction. We were all literally in the same boat. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter how much money you had in the bank. And I'm sure if Elon Musk was on the ship, there was nothing he would be able to do to change the president's mind. It didn't matter if you were ultra-platinum status with the cruise line, you were still going to a different destination. You know, when we come to the scripture in Romans chapter 2, Paul is saying we are all in the same boat. It doesn't matter your status in society. It doesn't matter the money that you have in the bank. It doesn't matter. He's making this argument whether you are a Jew with the law or a Gentile without the law. Whether you're an insider or an outsider, a churchgoer or not, we are all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat in these ways. One, that we condemn ourselves. The hard thing for us to hear that we actually condemn ourselves, all of us. Two, that we're all going to be judged by our works. And lastly, we're all going to be judged by Jesus. Now, I mentioned earlier, we are in this section of Scripture, a very hard section of Scripture, where it's the bad news of the gospel. It started out with the wrath of God being revealed, and then last week, Eric unpacked for us what it looks like for God's wrath to be revealed, what it looks like for us to be given over to our own sin. And this morning, we come to yet another very difficult topic, the judgment of God. And so let's look at how we are all in the same boat. One, we all condemn ourselves. You're going to see this in verses 1 through 5. And I want to point your attention particularly to verse 1 where it says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Now, Paul here is addressing anyone in his audience 
who had listened to the end of the chapter one last week, that, that, that giant list of sins, and somehow they're thinking to themselves, that's not me. I don't do those things. Especially that notorious thing that's mentioned at the end of chapter one. That is not me. That's what's wrong with outside the church. That's what's wrong with society. That's what's wrong with culture. And we need to fix it. But it's not wrong with me. The evil is out there, but the evil is not right here inside of me. He's talking to that group of people. And certainly the Jews, who he's really addressing in this first half of chapter 2 in our passage today, the Jews may have thought that. They may have looked at that indictment and said, yeah, that's not us. We're, we're not sexually broken in that same way. We don't worship the creature. That's, that's the pagans. That's the Gentiles. That's not us. And they would skim over the rest of those sins. And Paul is saying everyone is without excuse. Why? Because we judge one another. We pass judgment on one another. Who here in the auditorium this morning has not passed judgment on another person? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> and the sense here that Paul is giving us is actually a negative sense. It's actually one of condemnation, one of condemning another person. You know, I think of this scenario to unpack it a little bit. Have you ever pulled up to the red light? Maybe you're behind a car or a couple cars behind, and the light turns green, and what happens? You know what happens. They're not going, are they? Why? Because they're on their phone. <laughs> who, who has gotten upset about that? Who has passed judgment on that? And who has, who has done that themselves? Yeah, I know I have. Who gets up, upset about people driving slow in the left-hand lane or not putting the shopping carts back where they belong or what parents are allowing their children to do or what, or what your Christian brother or sister is watching on TV or the movies they're watching or the books they're reading. We all pass judgment on one another. But we all tend to give ourselves a pass, don't we? Because if you, it goes like this. If you really know, if you knew why I, I sat at the light, I mean, I was receiving a very important text, you know, Right? We all give ourselves, we all have reasons why it's okay for us. We have a different standard for other people. Paul is saying, can you really look at that list of sins and not see yourself in it? We, we are prone to magnify the faults of other people and to minimize our own. Jesus in Matthew 7 would say it like this. We see the log in someone else's life. We see the speck in our own eye. And actually, it's the other way around. Why is it? Because we are prone to hold ourselves to a different standard. We're prone to be self-righteous. 
And it's especially true for the insider. It's especially true for us who are in the church. But Paul is saying, no, you condemn yourself because you do the same thing. Did you not see on the list those other words, envy, gossip? And you might still be saying, well, that's not me. I'm pretty careful I don't do those things. But is anyone in here, can they say that they have not been disobedient to their parents? See, it's easy for us to go through chapter one and just point out that one sin and, and, and focus in on it and not see ourselves in the passage, not see that we are indicted as well. We're condemned because we ultimately sin in the very same way, and it's in this way, that the root of all our sins is idolatry. I want to point you back to Romans chapter 1 and verse 25. This is what Paul says. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Idolatry, false worship, giving our affections, our heart to other things instead of God. Replacing God, rejecting God. That's what we do when we sin. It is, it is the sin behind all of our sins. When we break any of the commandments, we have already broken the first commandment. What I mean by that is when you, when you say, when you lie to protect your reputation, you're saying your reputation is more important. It has a more central focus in your heart than God himself. When you commit adultery, that relationship, that person, it means more to you than God. When we sin, the sin behind all our sins is false worship. We are giving ourselves over to something other than God. And so when we look on another person and we condemn them, we condemn ourselves. Now this passage, these verses, it's not only an indictment. And it surely is. I want you to also see it's an invitation for us as well. It's an invitation in how we are to respond to God. It's an invitation also in how we are to respond to each other. Look, at, look with me at verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You see, God's righteousness is revealed. God's wrath is revealed. God's judgment will be revealed. He's holding off. It has not come yet. Why? Look at the character of our God. Look at the kind of God he is. He's patient with us. He's waiting. He's bearing with our sin. He's kind. How should we respond to God? He wants us to repent. He wants us to change our direction. He wants us to go the other way. He wants to, us to turn away from giving our affections to other things, other people, and give it all to him. To love him with our whole heart, our whole soul, and our whole strength. 
And so it's an invitation for us in how we respond to a God who is indicting us that we are all condemned. But it's also an invitation in how we respond to each other. That the way God is with us, we should be towards others. Patience. Kindness. You know, the world has lost all patience. We have lost all patience with each other. We have lost kindness. I mean, we're, 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 we are metaphorically going around honking horns at each other, blaring horns at each other. And it's one of the saddest things to watch that in our society is breaking down. We are angry and we are passing judgment and it's being amplified by things like social media, podcasts, talk shows. And we're all part of this. And it's an invitation this morning to see what kind of God we have, the way he is treating us. Can we treat other people the same way? Especially those in our life who are not in our tribe, those in our life who are frustrating us the most. Can we be patient with them? Can we be kind? You see, we have to realize that the ground, it's level at the cross. We stand before God, it is level at the cross. We all stand condemned. We all condemn ourselves with our own judging. And we are, Paul says, without excuse. We are all in the same boat. And our tendency is to give ourselves a pass. Our tendency is to think somehow we're a little bit better than that next person. So we're in all in the same boat. We condemn ourselves because we judge other people. But secondly, we're in the same boat because we all will be judged according to our works. You're going to see this in verses 6 through 15. I want to point your attention to verse 6 first. He will render to each one according to his works. Now that there's a future judge, that there is a future judgment, this is a hard idea. You may be here this morning and you reject that idea completely. You are bristling at this idea. You're not open to it. Some of you are here this morning, you are open to it, but you, you don't understand it fully. And it, and it arouses a little bit of anxiety, it arouses fear and concern in your heart. God's word is clear. God is a moral being, and we live in a moral universe, a place where there are standards, a place where there are absolutes, a place there, where there is right and wrong, and it's not defined by me, it's not defined by you, it's not defined by what our society says is acceptable, it's defined by God himself. I find it interesting as, as we think about planet Earth and the people on it, I, I find this very interesting that there are universally accepted standards. Who would disagree with the fact that murder is evil? Or that we shouldn't steal from one another? Where does that come from? 
Certainly we see that written in, in God's law in the Ten Commandments, but it's also written on our hearts. We all have this in our hearts. This is what Paul is saying about the Gentiles in verse 15. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. You see, our conscience, it bears witness to the moral fabric of the universe, that it's created by a moral God, a God who defines what is right and what is wrong. You know, the fact that we all go about judging other people, it kind of is an indication that we believe that there must be some standard. We all want some kind of accountability out there. We all want the wrongs that are being done in this world to be held into account and to not go unnoticed. We want evil to be held in account. And our scripture this morning is saying there is a day that is coming, not yet, when this will happen. In verse 5, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And on that day, we will be judged according to to our works. And what that means is how you live your life, what you say, what your thoughts are, what, what you do, it, it matters. How you live your life matters. You want a quick test to see the verdict of your life? Paul is doing this in verses 7 through 10. He's giving you a barometer. He's giving you an x-ray on your heart and on your life to see what are you seeking? Listen, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also the Greek. Actually, it's better to think about these verses and ask the question, who are you seeking? Who are you seeking? If it's about yourself, if you are, as it's characterized here, that self-seeking person, if it's about you, and it's not about God, your destination is clear. But if it's about God, if you are seeking God, if you're seeking the honor that comes by being approved by God, if you're seeking glory that comes when he restores the broken image of a glorious God in us, if you're seeking immortality, which is no, not to live forever, to do what you want and be by yourself, but to be with a glorious God, you will inherit eternal life. Now, I don't want you to be confused. Paul is not teaching here salvation by works. That somehow you can be saved by your works. He's already stated in chapter 1, it's by faith. And he's going to make it emphatic that no one will be justified by the works of the law. It's through faith in Jesus. So you have to stick with the argument here and understand in the context, he is not saying that. But what he is saying is that your faith is manifested by what you do, by how you live your life. True faith is revealed by a transformed 
life. And so when we look at those verses 7 through 10, we can interpret them as James interprets it in chapter 2. In James chapter 2, he would say, faith without works is dead. Very consistent with this, that your, your faith is manifested by your works. But I want you also, maybe perhaps, to see it in another light. And that's right within this argument that Paul is making in chapters 2 and 3. Because Paul is going to say in chapter 3, verse 11, he's going to use that same word, seek, that there's no one who seeks after God. No, not one. And when we read verses 7 through 10, do we not see in ourselves that maybe all of us are self-seeking? We should take comfort, though. We should take comfort Because there is a God who will bring all to account. And because of this, he is the perfect judge. You know, it's a scary thing to consider if he was not perfect. You know, uh, Governor DeSantis, if you've been following a little bit of the politics, Governor DeSantis has been in a tiff with uh, the Disney company. And recently, I saw that he wants a judge dismissed. Why? Because he believes past statements from the judge uh, don't make him impartial. And we worry about this, right? We worry about the fact that judges and juries are not impartial, that they can make a wrong decision. I mean, we've seen these cases that come back after 20, 30 years where someone was thrown in jail, and then we have new evidence. But God is not like that. We can take comfort that God, his justice is absolutely perfect. It's absolutely right. But we're all in the same boat. We condemn ourselves by our judging. We'll stand before this judge, God, according to our works. And lastly, we will all be judged by Jesus in verse 16. Look at this with me. On that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Now, as I've considered this passage, verse 16 to me is is probably the most astonishing verse in all of the passage. And and for you to, to see this, read this again with me. And replace that word gospel with what we know the gospel is. On that day when according to my good news... God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. And you may be wondering, well, Paul's saying this is supposed to be good news. How is it good news that I'm going to be judged by Jesus? I'll take you back to our cruise, the cruise to Cuba. What if the president was in the boat with us? And more than that, what if the president was a good friend? Well, let's say he's my best friend. What if more than that, he's not only my best friend, he's my brother? What if he is more than that, he is my lawyer? He's been hired to protect and look after my interests. So the person on the boat is the president. He is the only one who can change the direction of the boat. And this is what Paul is saying here in verse 16. If you are in Christ Jesus this morning by faith, Jesus is in 
the boat with you. And it's good news. Yes, he is our friend. Yes, he calls us brother. He calls us even more than that. We are his beloved bride. We are his soon-to-be husband. Yes, he is our advocate and lawyer. He is the one who pleads on our behalf. He is the one who can make a difference. Jesus is in our predicament with us. He's the only one who can make a difference. And the judge that we will face is the one who defends us. He's the lover of our soul. This lover of our soul, he entered our predicament. Yes, he entered and put on human flesh. He entered the brokenness of this world and he tasted of it more than anyone else, the injustice, yet without sin. And he stands in our place. This judge stands in our place. You see, he gets condemned. We get released. He gets condemned for our works. We get released because of his works. Jesus is in the boat with us, and he turns our life around into a new direction of glory and that of honor and, yes, that of immortality. And he does it. Why? Because we are the objects of his burning love, of his affection. This is the heart of God for us. And when we consider how we can be a light to this world, how we can respond to other people in this very same way. It's when we look at Jesus and see that the only person ever on planet Earth who had the right to judge perfectly, who could condemn perfectly, that's not what he does for those who are in Christ Jesus. He treats us with patience. He treats us with forbearance. He treats us with kindness. It's only that type of Savior that can transform our hearts, our hard hearts, and allow us the ability to reach out and be different with other people. This is also an invitation for you. If you are here this morning, you've yet to follow Jesus in faith, to invite Jesus in, to invite Jesus into your life, to change the direction of your life, that of self-seeking to Jesus-seeking, to allow him to stand in the place of judgment for you, to be condemned to die so that you can have life, so that you can have freedom. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we, we're humbled, Lord, because we all are without excuse. There's not a single one of us here who deserves kindness, who deserves your patience. We certainly don't show it to those around us, but that's the kind of Savior and God that we have in you. Lord, it humbles us to know your great love for us. What a wondrous love that you have for us. Lord, I pray that it would transform our hearts this morning to see your grace May we extend grace to all those around us, knowing that, that we stand before you the very same way.
condemned by our works. For the person here this morning who, who is struggling with this idea of judgment, I pray that you would soften their heart. I pray that you'd come alongside them, that you'd help them to understand these things. I pray that you would help them to take that first step and to reach out to Jesus. We ask this in his precious name.